still finally gave the Ringers Philly crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shiel Kapadia. That's right, just a couple Philly guys with the new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos, and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Plus, when Harden and Embiid somehow convince you suckers that this year's going to be different, our fellow Philly stands at the Ringer will have you covered on the Sixers and all your other favorite teams in town. It's Philly sports, Shiel. What could possibly go wrong? Join the fun and follow the Ringer's Philly special now on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, welcome to The Answer. I'm Sirit Sohi, joined as usual by Michael Pina, who is in a hotel room in Miami, from what I can tell in the background. Uh, We're going to be breaking down game two of the NBA Finals and then talking about game three. Uh, but you, you, Michael, you're, you're actually, you spent a couple days in the belly of the beast. Uh, you were in Denver for two days and you're going to be at game three. So I'm going to open the floor to you a little bit here. Any, like, what's your, what's your takeaway from the ground? Fun final so far. Competitive. Um, I'm personally, it's weird talking about the Miami heat because what they do is it's like this whole run is stunning, right? Like they're the number eight seed. And for them to go in to Denver and like I was talking on media row in the second quarter, I was just saying to people that I thought the game was going to be a blowout. Once they started to make their run with Jokic on the bench, it just had that vibe. They obviously won game one pretty convincingly, I thought. And it's just like this team in the three point line is a huge factor. This team's poise offensively with their execution. The two man game with Jimmy and bam is amazing. The, all the different ways that they're able to execute on defense, the way they shape shift with the zone really had it going in the second half. And I mean, they cut the lead to six or the deficit to six at the end of uh, the second quarter. And they just keep playing and fighting and churning through possessions. You know, Aaron Gordon today at media day said that, the Miami Heat make you play all 24 for all 48. And there's like no team in the NBA that does that. And it's just, they're so unique. So you expect competitive basketball when they take the floor. But at the same time, it's just like, it's just amazing to watch. I I'd really, it's like this huge dichotomy trying to analyze them where I'm surprised, but I'm not. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, it's it's incredible, right? So like pretty much this this reminds me a lot of what we were talking about before they played Boston. Going up against a team that is deeper, more talented, more versatile, has home court advantage, should on paper, you know, have pretty much every tactical advantage over Miami possible. Uh but then through some measure of First of all, I think their effort in game two was just so much better than it was in game one. Their physicality mm-hmm. was better. Uh, the zone in, in the fourth quarter, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, uh, just flummoxed and confused Denver, uh, really cut them off from 
their main supply. Uh, over two games now, Jamal Murray has more touches than Nikola Jokic does. So I don't want to say, we'll, we'll obviously probably talk about the idea of, hey, can you stop the Joker? Uh, Eric Spolstra answering a, a question by Ramona Shelburne basically said, like, you know, that, that's something that people with an untrained eye think is is possible. I think I think he was just trying to throw off the scent a little bit because they've done some really smart things against Jokic. So real quick, that was my angle for my column. That's what I wrote about after game two. Noticed that he had four assists, which is a playoff low, 28 shots, which was tied for the third most in the postseason. They have some... I don't know what their record is off the top. I think it's seven and 13 when he has eight or fewer assists during the regular season, something like that. They're obviously better and borderline unbeatable when he gets everybody else involved and is also able to score. And I am fortunate that I asked my, you know, Jokic trying to make Jokic a score questions to Malone and Jokic and people in Denver. I'm, I'm glad that I did not, I was not the person who asked Eric Spolster this question, but it's like when you go back and watch the film, yeah, like a lot of his baskets, Jokic's baskets and their possessions are single coverage. He had one where he was started the post up like at 30 feet on Cody Zeller and backed him down and scored. And it's like no double comes. Okay. So that means you're trying to coax shots. Like that's, I might have an untrained eye, but I think that when no double team comes and there's no digging or anything that you are okay with him shooting as opposed to finding a cutter or someone in the dunker spot or an open corner three shooter. So that's just what I saw and what I thought from all that. And I think that that is uh, when you talk to people around the league, and I think Mike Brown said this on a podcast recently, but like that's your strategy. Trained eye. Yeah, he's he has a trained eye. <laughs> Coach of the year, unanimous decision. Um, the the uh, the strategy when you're trying to defend this team, and it's so much easier said than done. But it's like, yeah, we would love for Jokic to get his and not get anyone else involved. And so I think that that is a fair that was a fair question and a fair read on what transpired in game two. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of exactly what happened. Um, (laughs) Denver can, Denver can win games like this. Um, They had 23 assists as a team. That's on the lower end for them. Uh, 41% of their field goals were unassisted also on the lower end for them, but it's not impossible for them to win games like this. I think the, the big factor for them on offense. Uh, and I don't think their problems really were on offense, to be honest. Um, like there were definitely moments. Uh, and if they had, you know, if they had one of their more blistering offensive nights and maybe we don't really focus on their defensive issues and total lack of effort. And the fact that mm-hmm. Jeff Green came out at the end of game two and was like, it's a fucking NBA finals. Um, I don't know why we need to be like, like we need to be hammering the point of effort. Malone was pretty pissed too. And I think that's, you know, I think that that's kind of been like the one thing with Denver is just they have moments like this. But, you know, I think I think on on offense, their half court offense wasn't great, but their transition offense was good. Um, but the thing really is that they not only made Jokic into a scorer, it's that no one else really got going. Uh, Murray got it going a little bit in the fourth, but he didn't have one of those like blistering Jamal Murray is not going to miss a single mid-range jumper games, right? So that happening at the same time, I think is a big factor into why the Heat were able to steal this game. Um, they also made that lineup change, putting Kevin Love back in the starting lineup. Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler ends up guarding Jamal Murray instead. And he, through the series, has held uh, held Murray to 0.6 points per direct uh Per direct actions uh, per uh, per second spectrum, so I mean that's that's obviously very good. Um, and Spo didn't call it an adjustment. I think he he called it basically just readjusting the starting lineup back to to what it was. Um, so I think that makes a huge difference too. But yeah, um, I don't know. It just uh, it was it was a flood of things really. Like you you mentioned the shooting as well, right? Uh, Miami shot fifty percent from the from the from the three point line, but you can't even necessarily call that unsustainable. Like you said, like this is a team that now you know it's it's done these things. I was looking at it and like throughout the playoffs, they've hit fifteen threes on forty plus percent shooting five other times since postseason. It's not something to do regularly, but it's not the type of thing that I'm going to look at the rest of the series and be like, oh, that's never going to happen again. It very well could. 
Yes. Um, the three-point shooting is, it's come to define them in a lot of ways. They can't, well, I don't want to say they can't win if they don't shoot wild from behind the three-point line, but when they do, their odds to win are just like, um, I don't even know, like almost, it's almost like a guarantee. It's very, very, very difficult. You need like a miracle Derek White put back with point at the buzzer or whatever. Like that's how you can beat them when they're shooting the ball like that. So um, real quick before I want to talk about the defense, Denver's defense. Um, but I want to make a point that a lot of people have said that um, the whole turn Jokic into a score thing is whatever, because they still ended up generating 124.1 points per 100 possessions or whatever it was, which is just like great offense. But when Jokic was on the floor in 42 minutes, uh, their offensive rating was 110.7, which is not good. And when he was off for those six minutes, it was 192.3, <laughs> which is uh, just, I, I've like literally never seen that number before. Um, and have Thank to, you, like, Christian Braun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I just want to point that out real quick before we move on, because I actually was not in my column because I didn't have those on-off numbers as I was writing it. But that's just like incredible. Like, and um, even though Jokic was super efficient and kind of got any shot that he wanted, really, their team's offense wasn't great. It just it just kind of reminds me of the Steph Curry warriors and the sort of philosophical debate that usually happens in the playoffs when a team finds a way to turn or wants to force Steph into being a scorer and wants him like wants him to run a bunch of pick and roll and make it kind of a more traditional offense that doesn't have as much movement doesn't have as much screening um and the thing with the warriors is that they've always been able to find their way back to their philosophy. And I think at times Steve Kerr has been stubborn about this. I think Curry is genuinely believes in it. I think that th- that team believes in what they do. Right. And I think now Den- like Miami has kind of brought Denver to this point now where I'm going to be really curious what happens in game three of like, you know, let's maybe get into, into some of that fourth quarter zone stuff. Like I think, looking back at it now, I think I see a lot of moments where I'm like, Oh, like they could have attacked it this way. They could have attacked it that way. But I'm just going to be really curious to see like, if, if Miami comes out with the same game plan, are the nuggets going to kind of succumb to it and make it into a, like, cause you can go in both directions, right? Like I think you can go with, okay, we're just going to try to spam Jokic in the post and try to do a better job of getting the ball to him, even though the Heat make it exceptionally difficult to, you know, even just get the ball to him, especially when Bam Adebayo was on the floor. Um, Or are we going to find a, a way to grease the wheels and try to get back to the style that we normally play? Yeah, I think that the zone, it's really fascinating because coming into this series, everyone who watches... NBA basketball thought that like the best zone breaker who's ever lived was Nikola Jokic. And that is to a point kind of fair and accurate. Like you put him at the free throw line, you let him pick apart, find cutters, find open shooters, etc. And I just think that it's and Spo says this all the time, like it's less about the scheme than how you execute it, what you're doing. And their physicality, I thought, was just like on 10. Gabe Vincent meeting him at the nail and just like driving his knee into Jokic's backside, like never letting him forget that there's someone right there on him. Like they don't give him space to do anything. He's always being hit. There was one play where like Kevin Love could have been a foul, I don't know, but like poked the ball away right at the free throw line with just such aggressive, aggressive ball pressure. And uh, the heat went the other way. I don't think they got any bas- points out of it, but still, like creating turnovers like that. Um, Jokic finished with five turnovers and four assists in game two, which is like, I don't know when he's had more turnovers than assists in a game, when the last time that is, to be honest. I think that the, the zone is, it's like really fascinating how like you look at the numbers and some of the numbers aren't even, they don't say that it's had this great success, but when you're just watching it unfold, 
um, the timely stops, the, the, the awkwardness of how Denver is operating offensively, that's really tangible. And even when they score, it's like, oh, well, they, they got a little fortunate on that one. Um, it's not like they're solving this defense. Um, so I think that it'll be a huge part of this entire series, to be honest. And that is, uh, that's a stunner. <laughs> like I thought Jokic would be able to obliterate this thing and they got some good shots in game one against it that they just didn't knock down. And maybe going forward, they will get those shots again and they'll knock them down and, um, everything will be fine. And Spoke can't go to the zone as much as he wants to. But so far, I think that it has served its purpose for sure. Yeah, I th- that that love play is is a great one to bring up. Uh, that was actually they were playing man still then. I think that was like that was a play in the third quarter, and that's a great example of just how difficult they make the catch for Jokic mm-hmm. too. Um, like ideally, love is there before you can even make the pass, but the way that Butler and Adebayo have been icing the Jamal Murray Jokic pick and roll, and I'm not I'm not sure if that play came from a Jamal Murray. Uh, action. I don't remember. Uh, but there were a couple plays right after that one where I, the thing that I noticed most was just how big of a pass deterrent Bam Adebayo was. Like there, there were like, I think it was a five minute mark in the third and then like the play right after as well. They ran a, they ran pick and roll on both sides of the floor and on both possessions, Bam and Jimmy basically forced Jamal into the corner. Um, yep. He's also like Jamal Murray is not like a behind the back passer. He's not often going to like give you the quick release. He usually needs to like kind of stop and go um, like kind of stop and pass in a way too. Right. Like he's not like, he doesn't have like the, the Trey young uh, passing package. I'm um, not to say he's a great playmaker, but that's just like one thing in his game that I think the heat have kind of exploded because they can force him to over dribble just a tad. I'm not saying he's like holding on to it for an egregiously long time, but we have to remember this is one of the fastest rotational defenses in the NBA. Um, and on the first play, some one of the wings came up to help on Jokic on the on the pop. So you don't have that pass. And then I think it was Bruce Brown who cut, um, but Vincent was there and he gets a steal on the first one. And then and then on the other one, it's like it it was like a, a he he drove Jamal drove baseline. He escaped the uh, the trap, but he had to jump past it to KCP. And Bruce Brown ends up ends up getting a three out of it. But you'll kind of live with that in a possession where that's the, and like honestly, the biggest point in all of this is Nikola Jokic does not touch the ball. Yeah. Like that, that is the W, right? And that, that is like the best way to essentially stop him too. And that is, that's what the zone did a really good job of in the fourth. Like then it, cause it, after, after those string of possessions, uh, Cody Zeller got into the game and Jokic was like, it's Nikola Jokic time. <laughs> and that's when you kind of felt the game really slow down. Um, that's, it's the beauty of post-ups too, right? Like when you have a guy that can post up like that, like you can really just, you know, you can, you can muck the game up a little bit, right? Like it started mm-hmm. to slow down. It started to feel like Denver was starting to get command of the game again. Uh, but then, yeah, I don't know. The zone comes out and yeah. It's almost time to crown an NBA champion and FanDuel wants you to be part of the excitement because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Now the Miami Heat have turned Nikola Jokic into a scorer. That might not be the most nuanced way of putting it. I think maybe Eric Spolstra would take uh, some level of offense to that characterization of things, but I think it's pretty well accurate. Uh, Jokic had 41 points in game two, and if you bet for Jokic to score over 45 points in in game three let's say you put that entire two thousand five hundred dollar bet into that just put all of your your eggs in one basket you're gonna win seventy five thousand dollars that's a lot of money you could probably put a down payment on a home in denver at least in like a suburban part of denver maybe not aurora but somewhere else uh down for that and just really ride out this uh this nuggets dynasty that seems to be forming in front of our eyes if you want to one thing i love about betting on fanduel is just 
videos how they have I mean they have great promotions like this one um, it's safe it's secure and you get paid right well instantly so like you could I mean you, you might as well just book a U-Haul with that you know it's it's a great city they get more sunshine than pretty much anywhere else in the United States everyone's really nice you can go hiking very progressive love Denver and you know they got the nuggets they, they got the joker so I don't know no complaints there's no better place to bet all the finals action in America's number one sports book visit fanduel.com slash ringer NBA and get a no sweat for bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327 5050 for 24 7 support in Massachusetts. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1 877 8 HOPE NY or text HOPE NY to 467 369 in New York, 1 800 522 470 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. What are you feeling going into game three after what we've seen in the first two games? Because, like, to me, Jimmy is like, He's like wing Jokic. Like, and what I mean by that is however the defense is playing it, he'll just read what it is. He'll make the simple the simple pass, find the open man. Jokic had a quote today that was like amazing that I've never heard before. That was uh the open man wins the game. And I was like, that sentence just sums up your whole basketball philosophy and why you're a great player. And I asked Jimmy about uh, today, how uh, Denver is defending him versus how he was guarded by Boston and New York and Milwaukee, and uh, he basically his response was very similar. It was I can't win alone. I need to. I've tried to win alone in previous stops. I need to involve everyone. I need to make the right pass, the right read, and he does pretty much every possession. I would say and. When his teammates aren't knocking down those threes, their offense looks a little worse. But when they are, as they did in game two, they look unbeatable. And so even his, I know I'm rambling and I apologize, but like even his uh, field goal percentage in the series is like, it's terrible and it doesn't matter. It just seems like he's still able to control the rhythm of the whole game. And so I just, off of what you've seen from Jimmy, what are you thinking for game three going forward? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm most I'm mostly with you, and I'm glad you asked this. I was actually going to ask you this too. Is like, if you're Miami, are you happy you got a game on Denver without a Jimmy explosion, or concerned that the Jimmy explosion hasn't happened yet? But like, I mean, to answer your question, he's also averaging eight assists in the finals. Right. So, you know, I so I, I think the only place of contention I have with Jimmy is I don't think that he has attacked the he hasn't attacked the Okich on the drop with as much aggression as I think he could. Um, I think maybe it's his play style too. He's just like, he's kind of been, maybe maybe his ankle is bothering him. Maybe his foot's bothering him. He has been playing with a level of hesitation. He's kind of like been employing a bit of an old man game. He's trying to read the pick and roll a little bit too much. I think you actually wrote about this after, after game one where he's like, you know, he's coming off these picks and he's looking to see who's behind him. And... I think the best thing that you can do against Joker is just make a quick decision because I mean, Joker's a, he's a good enough defender and he's smart that if you give him some time, he will get where he needs to go. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a play in the first quarter where, you know, Jimmy kind of turned a drive into a post up and then he ended up clanking the layup and it was contested when I thought if he either just 
you know, pop for a midi or just went straight to the rim, he would have had a lot more success. Uh, but I think that might also be a personnel thing too, where like, if that's how Jimmy's got to play, and by the way, so he's generating like 0.7 uh, points per chance against, Yo- against Jokic as a secondary defender in this series. But his teammates, especially in game two, his teammates have absolutely crushed that action. Um, Lowry, 1.769 points. Gabe Vincent, 1.44 points. Duncan mm-hmm. Robinson, 1.25. Um, Robinson on the handoff, Lowry and, and Vincent on, on pick and rolls. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to how Miami's guard play is so jumper oriented. And I don't think that they'll make as many mid-range jumpers as they did. Like that's this is one thing that's kind of hilarious too. Miami took eleven shots at the rim in game in game two. It's wild. Um, but they honestly. shot 40, like yeah, they shot forty four percent from mid-range though. So it's like it's fine, right? Like, and they got, you know, they got Bams, like they, and they, they end up scoring fine in the paint. Like, you know, Bam hit like every short mid range jumper. He's like that shot abandoned him in the postseason, but it's kind of right back to where it was for him in, in the regular season. So, I mean, that's, that is well-timed. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think him setting up shooters is obviously that that is Miami's game plan. They want to get a lot of three point shots up. And I also think the nuggets are kind of, they're overhelping a little bit. Um, they really don't want to give up switches on Butler, which is understandable. Like he's he's also like he's been really efficient post up in isolation in this series. It's just that he hasn't gotten that many attempts. So yeah, on one to one degree, it's like yes, the Nuggets are executing their game plan. On the other hand, that game plan when they don't execute it perfectly or when they kind of have the effort miscues that they had ends up in Max Struess slipping multiple times and getting wide open corner threes. And you don't necessarily want to be doing that either, especially to me when I haven't seen Jimmy actually be like Himmy in a bit, right? Like I, I kind of want to see what he's going to do if you make him do that. I'd be, I'd be curious to see how the Nuggets choose to defend him in game three. Yeah. So this is what I'm writing about for tomorrow. Um, it is because basically the fascinating contrast to me through the first two games and particularly game two is uh, Miami's defense um, trying to turn Jokic into a scorer, right? But uh, Denver's defense trying to uh, turn Jimmy Butler into a passer and a playmaker and really packing the paint. Um, and as you said, I, I couldn't agree more with the overhelping. Like, there's either they're screwing up a switch. Max Drew's got like two open threes because of screwed up switches. You add Contavious Caldwell Pope on uh, like towards the strong side of the nail defending on um, an isolate, a wing isolation where uh, Jimmy is being defended by Aaron Gordon. And what are you so afraid of? And I asked basically everyone I could on the nuggets if they thought that they were over helping. And some said, yes, uh, Michael Porter jr. Who has been, uh, probably the biggest culprit, I would say, honestly, in the overhelping department, said that he he admitted that they were probably overhelping a little bit in his response to my question. Um, but like, I feel like the smart defense there in general is to do exactly tilt yourself a little bit more towards exactly what De- what Miami is doing on defense with Jokic, which is a lot more single coverage. Um, you know. Obviously, like you don't want to just let him cook Jamal Murray one on one, but I just feel fundamentally that if you're playing the percentages, tough contested mid range shots against a guy who, like, I think you're really smart to bring up the ankle thing. If you look at his numbers since the ankle injury, they're not great. I think he's shooting 41% from the floor, 31% from behind the three point line. Um, you look at unassisted opportunities. Um, I have a whole bunch of stats because again, like I said, I'm writing about this, but on unassisted opportunities since his ankle injury, he's 33.7% on jump shots, 45.3% on layups, 
26.3% on floaters and 38.4% on shots out of the post. Those are all terrible, terrible numbers. But the other side of the coin is it's Jimmy Butler and it's the finals and we're working with a small sample. So if you were to just really lax your coverage and he goes off one-on-one, you can like, you could easily lose the game. Who knows? So I, I kind of go back and forth on this when mentally with what I feel about it, but like three at the end of the day is more than two. <laughs> so I would be more concerned with letting Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, these guys get open threes. I think that if you limit that, you have a better chance of winning than giving up, you know, a 35 ball, a 40 ball to Jimmy Butler personally. Yeah. And you also got, you just like, I think you got to test it. You got to test it to see if he has that in him right now, especially like now that you've said those numbers, I feel even more strongly about that. Cause like right now, Denver is letting Miami play. I mean, they, these are both teams that move the ball really well. They're really unselfish. They have great chemistry. But Denver is basically letting Miami play like their style of basketball. Um, a lot of that, I think, is credited to Bam Adebayo too. He's just been, he's make, he's been, he's been hitting all the right notes. He's making all the right decisions. He's, he's generating awesome. a ton of points for them on screen assists, uh, like almost Jokic level on screen assists. He's actually leading Miami in touches over two games. Um, yeah, and like, you know, back-to-back 20-point games. Um, yeah, he's been he's been really good. And you never want to compare anybody's decision-making to Jokic, but at the same time, it's like, oh, okay, like he's kind of doing some of those things that we expect to see from Jokic. And Miami has pretty much successfully taken Denver outside of their style. So, yeah, I mean, I think it only makes sense to muck it up for them too. Um, and then just kind of see what happens with like, is Jimmy going to hit a bunch of floaters or is he going to get to the rim? I think that would be a big question for me too. When mm-hmm. you talk about the, th- like the three is more than two part of it as well. Cause if you can cut off Miami's three point supply, then I think they have to deal with a similar math problem to like what the Phoenix suns were dealing with as well. So yeah, yep. I mean, I, I'm actually, I'm really excited to read that now. Um, is that going to be up like before the game tomorrow? Yes, it will. It will. I'm going to finish it as soon as we finish this conversation. Uh, we have the same day. <laughs> <laughs> what is your prediction? Do you have a game three prediction? Do you have like a, a feel for this series at all? I do not have a feel for this series. <laughs> um, I do not have a feel for this series. I I picked Denver in seven originally. I saw that. I saw. Can you? Can you? I know you're about to answer the question I'm about to ask, but like I saw mm-hmm. that and I was a little surprised, honestly. So I kept going back and forth on the Heat and the intangibles and Spolstra and Bam's individual defense against uh, against Jokic, uh, which mm-hmm. by the way, like I honestly like I. I keep citing se- second spectrum numbers, but then like when you watch the clips, it's a little, I don't know, it's a little iffy, especially in this mm-hmm. series. For yeah. some reason, I think probably because of the amount of zone that's being played um, and just the way that the Heat are defending pick and roll. Um, but I also think the eye test kind of backs it up. Like Jokic simultaneously while getting a lot of what he wants, uh, Bam has made his life very difficult. I think he's tired him out. Um, he's really strong. Jokic can still back him down. He can back anybody down. Um, mm-hmm. But that is also like the best strategy for him too. Like he's he's had a lot of success against Bam in the post and not a lot of success against him in pretty much every other area. Like he's he's quick enough on, on the face-ups and the drives. That, like the quickness with which Jokic has turned his potential face-up opportunities with Bam into dribble handoffs is a little bit staggering to me. Um, and I was kind of curious how that would go for an entire seven game series. I also, a little bit of heat culture, a little bit of social <laughs> zone, a little bit of like, you know, all of the things that at a certain point, you just got to give a team credit for, for punching above its weight and assuming that some of these things are going to hold, um, Jimmy, like just all of these factors, like the, the fact that for some reason, some role player always comes up clutch for them. Like Martin like w- was sick, came off the bench, did not play well. And mm-hmm. it ends up being like Gabe Vincent that, that, that goes off. And yeah, I just, I thought that I also, the other thing I thought too, was just that like Miami has a lot of quick guards and they are smarter mathematically than a lot of teams. Um, they're going to get like 
the most they can out and and I was also curious I don't know it's just like like all of all of the things that we've been talking about with the heat I'll stop rambling but basically just like at a certain point I decided to believe what I was seeing as opposed to just looking at the matchup on paper because like I kept thinking Denver in five or Denver in six and it just my gut was like, this doesn't sit right. This just doesn't sit right. Um, I still think Denver's going to win the series, but it's just like a game like that shows you like Miami just is not a team that's just going to go quietly into the night. No, not at all. I think that like everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the face, right? Like you can't know what it's like to play the Heat until you're in a playoff series against them. They are unlike anybody else and just how disciplined they are how locked into the game plan they are. Um, it's just like they, they're very San Antonio Spurs-esque in that they never beat themselves, it seems, which a lot of teams that they face do. And I don't know, like, I still think that the Nuggets are going to win this series. I would not be mm-hmm. stunned if the Nuggets won three games in a row. Um, but at the same time, the whole... Oh, Miami shooters will suddenly stop making open shots or ridiculous contested shots. Like, I just don't think you can fundamentally think that anymore. Like, this is the fourth round of this. Um, I don't foresee them falling into the same uh, slump that they had against the Knicks from behind the three point line. I just feel like these guys are so locked in. I don't really know. Like, that's such a reductive term I guess but like when you watch Gabe Vincent or Caleb Martin or Struess or Duncan Robinson like every time they miss a three it just feels like a mistake or a glitch like I expect all their shots to go in frankly Mm -hmm. and like even going back to everything you're saying about Bam I honestly feel like Bam is still super underrated like because he's not a big point scorer like He's amazing. I think he's been their best player in this series so far. Uh, mm-hmm. He impacts both sides of the ball at such a high level. He's asked to do so much defending Jokic. He's asked to do so much triggering the DHOs that um, leverage Jokic's greatest weaknesses in space as a defender. And he's just been on point. And when he's making the those like paint jump shots that nobody else even attempts in the NBA because it's 2023, but he does when he's making those, like, (laughs) it's just such a bonus. It's such gravy on top of, of how they want to play. And, um, that said, I'm still sticking with my nuggets and five prediction, like an idiot. And, uh, we'll see, we'll see how that (laughs) turns out. (laughs) I feel like if the nuggets win two straight games, which I honestly don't think they will, I think Miami will at least win one home game, but I feel like Mm -hmm. if they do, I don't see Miami, even though they'll be back in Denver for it. I don't see Miami losing their third game in an elimination game. I just don't like, I, they're, from everything I've seen from this team so far, my brain, my heart, like it cannot conceptualize that actually happening. But I do think this is Denver's serious to lose still. And I think a lot of that is because of their total, just complete shocking lack of effort on defense in game mm-hmm. two. Just horrible execution errors, bad closeouts, um, really bad help. Those two KCP fouls on three-point shooters, the MPJ foul on Bam Adebayo when he was going to get a clear dunk yeah. and he's Bam oh, Adebayo. So, and you're so far away. So why so do you even bother? And not, to, yeah. not to single him out because he's been a lot better on defense and I think a lot of people expected him to be throughout the course of the playoffs, but just not... Not a good MPJ look. Honestly, not a good MPJ night. Not a good MPJ series so far, actually, now that I think about it. But yeah, I just... I feel like as much as we've talked about the offense and the half-court offense was... I mean, they held the half-court offense to 100 points uh, per per play, Mm -hmm. which is incredible for when you consider, like, Denver's just a flamethrower. But if they just play a little better defense, they probably win that game. They don't make like just the type of regular season. How the hell are you even doing this in the NBA finals execution errors, which I don't think they'll, 
I could see them doing it again for another game. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, because I thought that I thought that this was something that this team had completely grown out of throughout the course of the playoffs. Uh, but their margin for error, like we have to remember, is very thin on defense. Uh, despite how many good perimeter defenders that they have, um, if they are not completely tied in scheme-wise, like they don't have a Bam bio. They don't have a guy that you can just have at the rim to clean everything up. So, yeah, they got to pick it up on defense. I feel like they will, honestly. Um, yeah. So many of their mistakes are, like you said, they're just so elementary, like easy stuff that you screwed up, that the other team really didn't do anything to make you screw up. Just don't do it again. Like I don't And the, the concern there is like, okay, well, not only did they make those mistakes in game one, but then the first quarter of game two, when their head coach is probably like drilling the film into them of their mistakes from game one, like the same exact mistakes are made right out the jump. Max Cruz hits mm-hmm. three threes, all off mistakes. Like that's just... A little worrisome, I'm not going to lie. And then being in their locker room after the game, um, just like the, I just want to say like the contrast of being in the Heat locker room after a loss and the Nuggets locker room after a loss. Heat locker room after a loss, they got cans of Pacifico, just everyone, everyone's drinking beers, everyone's having a good time. No one looks stressed at all. Uh, the exact opposite vibes I could, I would say are true for the Denver Nuggets after their, after game two, they just seemed, uh, really down in the dumps and like, it's the finals. I get it. They probably should feel that way. They were up double digits in the second half. They had a commanding lead or I mean, eight points, whatever, but like at home going into the fourth quarter should have won that game. Frankly, like there was really no reason why they shouldn't have. And I feel like them feeling like they let one slip away. I, I, I don't know if mentally they'll get over it or if they're already over it or whatever. We'll see. Um, I think Jokic said at the end of his presser, like, yeah, we'll see if we have the effort level that we need at the start of game three. It's like, okay, cool. I guess we'll all find out when that game starts. Um, but yeah, it's just a really f- weird finals. And it's fun. I'm enjoying it. Um, I still think that like betting against Jokic versus whatever is not smart. And so I'm, I'm going down with Jokic at the end of the day. There is something to having been here before, but also I think if I look at Jokic and the way that he is mentally, um, he lives in the moment, you know? I think that's something mm-hmm. that's really helpful to have at this stage. Like, I don't think that he's a player who is going to be like, this is, you know, this is a team that made two, three, one comebacks in, in the bubble. Um, so I think they know how to simultaneously be down on themselves and disappointed in their effort while also being able to shake it off. So I don't, I'm not necessarily too worried about that part of it, but it's, it also does kind of bring up a strain, like, a strange dynamic that I think has existed in that locker room pretty much since Michael Malone has been trying to shape them into a contender, which is that like he is oftentimes the loudest voice for accountability in these situations. And I think that's shifted somewhat. I think Jokic has become that guy through the course of this season. Uh, but there's a reason they signed so many veterans, right? Like there's a reason that Jeff Green is in that locker room, DeAndre Jordan, um, who are like Jeff Green would look really pissed and Michael Malone was really pissed and none of it really matters unless like that energy transfers to the players who are going to be playing the majority of the minutes in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's kind of always been the story for them. I think they will figure it out, but it just kind of like, this is the central tension of their defense and, and has been for most of their tenure. Like it's just, there are nights when they think that they can just win a game with offense and they came very close and they believe a lot in their offense. Uh, but, and you know, also at the same time, like they were, uh, they were a Jamal Murray step back three over Jimmy Butler, like a, the same shot that he made like a few minutes earlier away from going to overtime. So there's a reason they do, but like, you just can't live and die with that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, like this, it's probably a good wake up call, if anything, right? You would hope. You would hope. Um, Aaron Gordon said today, you know, one of the things, if you rewatch the film, like 
he let Jimmy Butler reject the screen and go away from the help multiple times. And a few threes were wide open because of that. And that's just like a simple, I don't know if it's simple because I don't play in the NBA, but I feel like letting a guy reject a screen multiple times is not what you want. Like he should be able, he's big and strong and long enough to direct the ball a little bit better. Um, and that was something that he specifically cited as something that I was not locked into our game plan. I did not execute what we were supposed to be doing. Um, so I just feel like they will correct a lot of that stuff to your point. Their mentality as an organization for a long time has been, okay, the other team scored, whatever. We're going to get two or three points on this possession, so it doesn't matter. And I feel like throughout this playoff run, that has not been their mentality at all. And if they were to drift back into that, that would be very problematic against this Miami Heat team because uh, they will grind out victory. Like The pace of these games even is so slow and Miami does such a good job of limiting transition opportunities and just easy stuff in the open floor and they don't turn it over and all that stuff. So I think like your offensive ex- execution has to be on point and you got to make it hard on defense. You can't give up back cut layups to Duncan Robinson. You can't give up wide open corner threes to Max Struess or like you will lose or you'll give us your, you'll put yourself in a position to lose. I should say, and I just think the nuggets are like a lot better and they should be up to O and it's wild that they play this poorly as they have. I also don't understand why they weren't just switching that action in the fourth with like it's 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 Vincent and and Christian Braun that were the primary defenders on that action. Just switch. It doesn't matter if Duncan Robinson is on whichever of these guys he's on. It was, it's a great it, sorry, point. It was Christian Braun and um I can't remember. It was two man, it was it was two perimeter guys that were basically like, who cares which one of these guys is on Duncan Robinson, which one of these guys is on Game Vincent. And you figure out right. the switch after if you really need to. Like especially that was a moment where Jokic wasn't even on the court. So you don't really have to be that. I don't know. It seems like maybe their game plan is just to not give up the switch overall. They just don't want Jimmy attacking it. But then I think like when you get deep into a series, like you look at those little intricacies and say, okay, well, this one will switch and this one we won't, you know. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Honda. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The last thing I want to talk about is some of the ways that I think Denver could approach attacking the zone. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I think, so I think, I think overall we love how fast Jokic plays within just one possession. Like it's, it's great that he goes from trying to post up to running up to the top of the key and initiating a, a pick and roll to like popping and then facing up and whatever. Like that is the beauty of Nuggets basketball. It can be really confusing. I think, I think there were times in that fourth quarter where I wish that Jokic would have just settled 
in the post and seen what happened, like made Miami's defense bend a little bit. And then you can Mm -hmm. have a playmaker at the top, whether it's Jamal Murray or Bruce Brown or Aaron Gordon, who's really improved as a playmaker. Um, Try to make a decision based on if you like, I don't know. I feel like if Jokic just hangs out there for three seconds, Miami's kind of going to be like, Oh, what do, what what do we do here? Um, Either you're going to find a way to get an entry pass to him, or you're going to find somebody else that's potentially open. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jamal did a good job of attacking the paint down the line too. Um, Again, I think that kind of goes back into that. Like, do you really want this to turn into like the Jamal Murray show and everybody else gets cut off? Uh, But I think that's, that's one thing that they can just do is like leverage Jokic off the ball. Um, and if you can't get the ball into him, just see what else you can get. There were a lot of moments that were like non-Kevin Love minutes. There was one in particular in the fourth where he just had Kyle Lowry at the basket, tried to post up for like one second and then didn't get the ball and then like didn't try. He just like backed up and went to the dunker spot. Like just mm-hmm. just keep posting up there. Like there, there are some sore spots for... For Miami in their zone, I think there are times that they could have spaced out better. Um, like there was a MPJ miss three from Jokic that was a contested, like it was kind of it was a it was a contested three from Butler just because he was one pass away. I think there was another one with KCP where if he spaced out to the corner, it's a much easier, uh, much more open shot. Uh, so yeah, like there are there are fixes. I also think like obviously I think Miami will make some adjustments to their zone if they um, if they go to it again, which I mean they they will, but yeah, just. Yeah, I don't know. Did you like what what else? Like, did you notice anything about the zone that could be exploited? Or do you have do you have any thoughts on that? What I will say about the zone is like the much lauded Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic pick and roll. It's a lot harder to run against a zone. And I think that that is a huge benefit for Miami because I mean that action is, you know. I'm working on a story about it after a thousand people have already written stories about it. Like their two man game is amazing. Um, it's eight, eight, seven, eight years in the making. They have great chemistry, all that. Um, not sure how you guard it. And it's like, I don't think that the zone is a be all end all um, stopper of uh, Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic pick and roll, but it just doesn't make sense to run it at a high volume. So like what you, you want to attack a zone in a different way. So um, I think that that is just like this weird byproduct, positive byproduct for Miami. And then uh, when they're in, even when they're been in man in game two, um, I thought they defended the, the Murray Jokic pick and roll. Like they did a really good job against it in a way that I haven't really seen a defense um, execute in this entire postseason run. So if that keeps up, that's also something to just keep an eye on because that combination has been just the driving force of Denver's success in a lot of ways. I mean, their offense is mostly random in space, but that pick and roll is like, it's been unstoppable. So that's definitely something to just watch and monitor as the series goes on, I think. Yeah, they did a really good job of of switching it and switching it with non-BAM guys, keeping BAM at the rim. To kind of, I think they were trying to force a two-man game to play in the mid-range. Um, and I think Joker kind of resisted that a little bit in a way that I kind of, I look at it and I'm like, no, just, you know, take, you're a little far out, but yeah, take the hook shot over Gabe Vincent. I think that's fine. I'll, like, <laughs> I'll live with that like like nine times out of ten, you know? Um, but yeah, it'll be really interesting. It's a really good point. Because um, they, ran, they ran that action quite a bit during like what, when, when the Heat were playing in the zone. And it was honestly the action that they probably had the most success out of, probably because of Murray just being relentless about going to the rim. Uh, but yeah, it just didn't, it didn't, it wasn't the same. Like it's, I think it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the start of the podcast. Like they just cut the, those two guys out from the rest of their teammates. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for for game three now. I'm just really curious to see Denver's response and and Miami's response to that response. (laughs) Uh, Very well put. This conversation, this tactical conversation that that Spo and and Malone seem to be having. Um, Cool. Well, what else do you want to talk about? So many of us lay awake at night going through a list of what ifs. What if I get into an accident? What if I need to change my home or auto policy? 
But State Farm knows you would rather worry about anything else. So they're always available to answer any question in person over the phone or on the State Farm mobile app. So now you can spend your time pondering other things. Like what if the playoffs shaped up differently? Pina, do you have any what ifs that you're that you've been ruminating on that you've been lo- losing sleep over lately? Um, you know, I, I probably will be losing sleep over what I'm about to say for um, maybe the rest of my life. Um, it's my what if is what if Jason Tatum uh, never sprained his ankle 26 seconds into Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, I was at that game. And I'll say that I've been to a lot of playoff games, a lot of finals games, a lot of games at TD Garden, big games. And 10 minutes before the game started, the energy in that building was basically as loud as and as like vibrant as any event that I've ever experienced. You had like Rondo dapping up Isaiah Thomas on the court, just the crowd going absolutely bananas. Paul Pierce was there. So many former Celtics. They were showing Red Sox highlights from their um, 4-0 down 0-3. Comeback against the Yankees in 0-4. Just like it was ear splitting. And then the game begins and Tatum goes down. And like I've also never felt or heard an audience or crowd just just a, a total 180 in an instant. Like I've never, it, it was, I still right now, I'm just like speechless and trying to describe it. Um, that is like, as I'm complaining about this and wondering and pontificating, like uh, I don't want to take anything away against the Miami Heat who played tremendously in that game. Um, coming off of what would have been a devastating, it was a devastating game six loss at home. Um, they're mentally strong as hell. And Caleb Martin is just, he was Steph Curry that night. But when you have your best player who, in my opinion, is the best player in the series go down like that. Um, Tatum finished with 14 points in 42 minutes. And he was like hobbling around the entire game. Couldn't defend anybody. Couldn't move laterally. And you contrast that with his 31-point performance in Game 6, where he's just dusting Jimmy Butler in isolation, totally unstoppable, getting to the free-throw line at will. Um, Yeah, it was a uh, kind of a bummer for Boston, for Celtics fans everywhere. Um, But uh, yeah, so that's that's my my big what-if of uh, these playoffs. Yeah, you got to remember too, Jason Tatum is one of the best elimination game scorers in like in the NBA. Uh, I think we're all pretty excited for that one. Uh, but you you in particular, thank you for sharing. Yeah, no. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I know. Just to add some some context. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's I don't know if it makes you feel better that I complimented Jason Tatum or if it's like just salt on the wound in this particular situation. <laughs> Um, but we can, uh, we can move on. I don't want to make you dwell on the past too much, except to say that the ripple effects of that are going to be huge. You know, the Celtics have a huge off season. Um, is Jalen Brown going to be a part of the future of this team? Would they have stolen a game in, in Denver as well? If they were, if they were the team that was in the finals, I tend to think no. Uh, but I would have been curious what the Robert Williams Jokic thing looked like. And I can just tell by the pain on your face that I should stop right now. No, you know, it's fine. We're in the Sam Cassell big ball era now. We're going to enjoy that. Um, good times are ahead. Uh, we will see what happens with Jalen. I would assume that they will bring him back, but who knows? Uh, just from everything, everything. Uh, all that Brad Stevens has said since the season since the season ended. Um, but uh, yeah, that one hurts, and that is something that the Celtics are going to regret for a very long time losing that series, and even more so Game Seven, just the first two at home, just blowing those two is just yeah. You know, I, I this is really going to dark places for me, and um, maybe we should wrap this segment up as as quickly as possible. How about that? Well, thanks for leaning into the pain. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> you might never stop wondering, what if my team wasn't eliminated from the playoffs? 
but you can at least find certainty in your insurance policy with State Farm. I hope that makes you feel better. They're always able to answer your what if questions or anything else about your policy that you want to know. File a claim on the State Farm mobile app, or if you prefer to talk to a real person, including your agent, call anytime. It's what they do. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Well, Michael, this has been a great tactical conversation with you. Um, I look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you for, for joining. Thank you, Chris Sutton, for producing. Thank you, Ben Cruz. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.